and welcome our associate pastor Seth as he comes to bring us the word. Good morning. I'll say it again. I think our worship was on fire this morning. <laughs> dad jokes. Yep, I've, I've got some dad jokes, that's for sure. Well, just want to welcome you all to Farmington Baptist Church. It's situated here. Thank you, sir. Um, we are so glad to have you here. Um, if you do not know me, my name is Seth Farnell. I'm the associate pastor here, and I get to preach today. So I always enjoy when I get to do this. Um, I know it's hard for Pastor Philip to let it go every so often, but he's been gracious, and he's allowed me to do it this morning. Um, so we are glad that you are here, and we are at the end of summer. Everyone's like, yeah, no, no, no. Everyone have a good summer? Yeah, awesome. Um, <clears throat> vacations, all that fun stuff. Any last, like, big drives before school starts back and life gets back into normal, in a rhythm? Okay, no, one, no more vacations. All right. Well, we're coming to a close. We're going to close this chapter. Um, we are here at this church. We're starting back Fuel, which is our youth group, and Awana. And also uh, adult Bible studies on Wednesday nights. It's going to be September 7th is when we kick that off. And we are excited to get back into a rhythm. We, we take the summer off of our Wednesday night. We still do a lot of ministry. We do summer spec. But we just take that little break. Let us reset. We're going to kick back off. and go in strong. And it's coming. Whether we are ready or not, it is coming. Um, so that is coming up. But we had, personally, me, we had a great vacation, a great summer, and we went on vacation, and we had a lot of fun. We like to go to the beach. Any beachgoers? Yep. But every year, that's what we do. We love going to the beach. And this one place that I like to go, so we go to Emerald Isle is the beach that we go to, um, but Beaufort is really close to Emerald Isle. And Beaufort is a really cool, historical, nautical, maritime town. It's one of the third oldest towns in North Carolina. And there's just so much history there and so much maritime nautical history. And I love that stuff. It, to me, there's something about that that's just so attractive. And this is whole another world. Um, and I just, I, I just, I think it's awesome. I love going to visit there. Well, part of this idea, this theme for the series that I'm starting this morning comes from that. Um, so the next Several times as I get up and preach, um, I will be walking you through uh, the book of 2 Timothy, and the title of this series is Stay the Course. All right, and we're going to get into that. But every time I think about leadership, leading an organization, or even, even leading your own life, I think about this metaphor of taking a ship or a vessel through uncharted waters, through troubled waters. Like, I just, something that always comes to my mind, because there's a lot of similarities to leading an organization. You know, you're, with, a, with a vessel, you're at the mercy of, of the, the wind, at the mercy of uh, the, the, the current water patterns. Um, you have to navigate using different types of tools to keep your vessel going in a certain direction, and it's easy to get off course. And it takes a lot of work to stay on course. And that's the way it is with any organization. Um, with, with a church, and the thing with the church is you have Jesus Christ as your ultimate leader, uh, but there's still an element that he gives 
people the means of leadership, and it's their job to chart the course. And it's the same way with your lives. You are on a journey in your lives, and you're going on a certain direction, in a certain direction. And so I just, that's what comes to mind every time. So Book of Second Timothy, we're going to kind of have a little bit of this nautical maritime theme to stay the course, going in a certain direction. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to the Book of Second Timothy, and we will go to chapter 1 where we're going to start. So this, um, this book, I, I love. I love this book. Um, I don't think there's a book in the Bible that I don't love, but there's some that I don't love quite as much as others. Uh, it used to be Leviticus for me. I used to really not like to read Leviticus. But then Pastor Philip had to bring us through a series in Leviticus, and I realized... That's a pretty awesome book. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome one. But I will say, the book of Second Timothy, there's something there that just, it grabbed me. And back at the beginning of this year, in January, in the youth group, we took our teens through a four-week study uh, in Second Timothy. And something about it, it just, it grabbed me. And I was like, I want to go deeper. So that's what burst this series. So now that you have a little background to why we're here, um, Paul, in this book, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. It's the second letter, hence Second Timothy. And Timothy was um, one of Paul's followers and a guy who, when, when Paul was on his missionary journeys, Timothy would come alongside and he would assist Paul. Now, at this point, uh, when Paul is re, uh, writing this book, he is in prison. Surprise, surprise. Like, Paul ends up in prison a lot. That's where a lot of his books end up written. Um, he is in prison, and he's writing to, to, to Timothy. And he feels like he is coming close to the end. Now, whether that's the end of his life, or whether that's the end of his ministry, whether that's the end of his journey that God has him on, he feels like he's coming towards the end. So we see a lot of these things in the book where Paul is sort of charging Timothy to stay the course. He's charging Timothy to stay on track, to keep on going in this direction, to stay the course. Now, I don't know if he, he exactly uses those words, but if you read it, that's what he is telling Timothy. Keep on going, and he gives him encouragement, and he gives him warnings to heed, and he says, keep doing this. And not only that, he's starting to kind of pass the baton over to Timothy. You know, Paul had this awesome ministry. He was a missionary he went on three different missionary journeys. He started churches. He, God used Paul in some awesome ways to get the church moving in a certain direction. And now Paul is wanting Timothy to continue that. And so that's where we are. So let's go ahead. Let's, let's read these first few verses as we dive in. And it says in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So, a couple things here. Paul loved Timothy. He had a really great bond with Timothy. He calls him his child right here. He, do he, he poured into Timothy in some incredible ways. And he helped equip Timothy, and he rose him up to this point. 
So Paul has a lot of care for this guy. Some things that we know about Timothy is he, um, he started following Paul when he was probably somewhere late teenager, maybe 16, 17, 18 years old is a pretty good estimate of when he started his ministry with Paul. So he was, he was young. I, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, I was not trying to look for a missionary to follow around and start churches. That's just not where my head was. Um, I was thinking about my Jeep. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about I'm going to have to graduate high school and then I have to do something. You know, I, I, that's not where my head was. But Timothy, something about him and God is God. And he got him on this track to where he was following Paul. Now, in the midst of all that, he went on all these journeys. And at the point of Paul writing this book, Timothy is now the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And so most likely at this point, Timothy's maybe in his 30s, maybe 40s, maybe not quite as old as 40, but somewhere in that age, age time, age frame. Because in 1 Timothy... Paul encourages Timothy to not let, to not be, um, not let anyone despise your youth. So he was young. He might not have been a teenager at this point, but he was still young at this point. So there's some really cool stuff going on, but let's, let's dive in because there's this charge that Paul gives Timothy, and it's very, it's very important. So let's look here in verse 3. It says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you. So let's stop there for a minute. This dwelling faith, this dwelling faith that Timothy has, Timothy had a testimony. Everyone has a testimony, right? A testimony is, this is my life, and this is how God has changed my life, and this is the direction that he has put me, the course he has put me on, this is where I'm going. This is my testimony. Timothy had a testimony. Paul had a testimony. Paul's testimony was pretty exciting. Like, you know the story of Paul. Paul, is, his name was Saul. He murdered people. He persecuted the church. Like, he was a bad dude. He had this crazy, radical testimony. And then God changed him and saved him. And he put him in a different direction. And he did some amazing things for the kingdom of God. So Paul has this exciting testimony. You know people in your life that have exciting testimonies, right? Like, this guy, he was... He was a murderer. He was in prison. And when he was in prison, he read the Bible and God changed him. And now he's like a missionary and he's doing all these crazy things. And you think about that like, wow, that's an exciting testimony. I used to wish I had a testimony like that. <laughs> like, I mean, wouldn't that be, do you think that would be easier to get people to trust in Jesus to say, hey, I was this crazy, rad, bad dude. And now I'm doing this. And God has changed me, and I'm living this life. Like, that's, that's pretty, pretty exciting. That's pretty miraculous. Like, that's a movie I'd want to watch, right? But then 
you have my testimony. My testimony is not that exciting. Let me, let me, let me give you my testimony. I would consider me to have a boring testimony. But here's how it goes. I grew up in a loving family. I was saved at a young age, probably about the age six. I don't remember the exact date, but my mom led me to the Lord. I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school. I was involved in the youth group. I mean, I sinned as a kid. I did things, but I, I never, like, went off the beaten path and completely rebelled. Like, I, So when you're witnessing to someone, it's like, okay, like, that's not that exciting. <laughs> what did God really do for you, right? So you start to think that, well, Timothy, he kind of has a similar testimony. We don't have much about his life. We don't know much about what he did before getting saved or but we know he started following Paul at a very early age. And we know by the time he was around 30 or 40, he's now the pastor at the church of Ephesus. Like, God has done all of this awesome stuff. We know that his grandmother and his mother influenced him. And the dwelling faith that was in them, they passed that down to their grandson and son, Timothy. And they encouraged him to continue in his faith. Most likely... Timothy does not have an exciting testimony. Most likely, Timothy has a boring testimony. But here's the thing. Paul's crazy, wild testimony over here and Timothy's boring testimony over here, they are both filled with the exact same power because both men were dead in their sins and trespasses and they were rebels against God and God changed them saved them, and gave them new life. And that is a miracle. That is a miracle. So I say this to say this. Be proud of your boring testimonies. Some of you in this room, you might have what I would consider an exciting testimony. A testimony, I would want to watch a movie about that. And they have made movies about these types of people, and that might be you. And if that's you, that's great. That's awesome, because God saved you, and he put you on a different path. That is incredible. But a lot of us don't have that type of testimony. A lot of us have a very mediocre, boring testimony. But there is still power in what God did for you, because he gave you salvation. He took a dead person and made them alive, and that is a miracle. And that is something that you can hang on to, and you can be proud of. You can be proud of because, not that you did anything about that, but God looked at you in this world and said, I want to rescue you, and I want you to be a part of my family. You have been touched by God. That is exciting. That is amazing. And that is what happened with Timothy. Now, I would say this. <clears throat> it, wouldn't it be awesome the generations that follow us have boring testimonies. Because what that means is that you as parents and teenagers who one day will be parents are taking the faith that you have and you are instilling it in your children and you are doing your hardest and trying as much as you can 
to make sure that these kids follow Jesus Christ. And they don't get off the beaten path. They don't sin in incredible ways. They don't rebel and go in a different direction. That, is, that would be an incredible thing. But in saying that as well, you can only do so much. You can only do, you can only do so much. There is an element to where it is up to God and it is up to them as the kids to make those decisions. But if you are like Timothy's grandmother and his mother Eunice, and you are instilling in your kids, most likely the odds are they will have boring testimonies too. But those boring testimonies are miraculous. Those boring testimonies are powerful because God still touches them just like he touches the murderer and the convict and the people who were off the beaten path. And that's an incredible thing. So take that dwelling faith that you have and instill it in people. Instill it in your kids. Instill it in those around you. And it's okay to have a boring testimony. That is okay. Let's take this further. Let's take this further. Because this is where, this is where the message really rests for today. So let's, let's read these next few verses. It says this um, in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Let's break that down a little bit. What in the world is he talking about here? So we know that Timothy, he got a gift from God. He got, God came down and he gave this present. He opened it up. Woohoo! happy birthday. Maybe not exactly like that. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about how um, there was a council of elders that came around Timothy, and as they were commissioning him towards ministry, they laid their hands on him, and through that, Timothy received a gift from God. Now, we don't know exactly what that gift is. We don't, it doesn't say exactly what that is, but we do know that it must have helped him in his calling. Timothy was called to be a pastor, he was called to be a leader, he was called to be a shepherd. So something about that gift that Timothy was given was going to help him in those terms. But then Paul says to take this gift, at this point, this gift is just a spark. And you need to fan into flame this gift. Do you all understand that concept of fanning into flame? You know how fire works, right? Fire needs three things to burn. It needs heat, it needs a fuel source, and it needs oxygen. Okay? Now, to start, it needs an ignition. So, God, through the laying on of hands and through this gift, God ignited this gift in Timothy's life. But now, in order to not just sustain this flame, Paul is saying to make it grow. Make it grow. Fan into flame this gift that you have been given. Um, how many of you enjoy fires? <laughs> okay. You know, wintertime, you have the fireplace, you, you make a fire in your fireplace. Who enjoys, like, the caveman-style campfires? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> who enjoys eating over a campfire file? Campfire file? Campfire style. I don't even know what I'm trying to say at this point. Who enjoys cooking your food over a fire? 
That's what I'm trying to say. I love it. I love it. It is, it is awesome. Um, I've done it as a kid, but ever since we moved to our house, something that Heather and I do, we, any time we're celebrating something, like a birthday or um, sometimes an anniversary or maybe, you know, I've ended my, <laughs> my school year or a semester, you know, I finally made it, let's, let's celebrate. We like to eat over our fireplace outside. And it's such a rustic caveman type thing to do. We love it. And this started several years back. All right, so I'll start this youth ministry. We had a game in the youth group, and it was called Hot Potato with Cold Dead Fish. So what I did is I went up to Harris Teeter, and I bought a red snapper, whole intact red snapper. It was gutted, but it was the fish, all right? And we played Hot Potato with the cold dead fish, and we passed it around and had music playing. When the music stopped, you had to, like, hold the fish, and I think we ended up making kids, like, kiss it and stuff, you know, <laughs> you know, youth ministry stuff. And so we're doing this, and, and the fish ends up, you know, flying across the room, and, you know, these red snappers, they have the dorsal fins that have spikes on them. I think one of our teens, he got stabbed in the hand, but, you know, youth ministry, right? Everything, no rules in youth ministry. It's fine. It's, you know, it's all for the Lord, right? <laughs> off of Jesus. Well, at the end of that, I paid like 20 bucks for this fish. Out of my own pocket, I paid, I paid for this fish because I was like, I don't feel right about turning that receipt in. <laughs> so I said, I'm not letting this fish go to waste. I want to go home and I'm going to cook it. And I told that to the teenagers and they're like, ew, gross. We all touched it. That's so nasty. Ew. I said, guys, do you understand what happens at a fish market? everybody's passing the fish, there's germs, there's nastiness, when you cook it, it cooks the germs out, it cooks the germs out, so we did that, we, I took that thing home, and we dug a fire pit in our back, in our backyard, I scaled it, and I, I dressed it up, I looked up a couple recipes, put some butter, and lemon, and parsley, and all these herbs and spices, and wrapped it up in tin foil, we had some cinder blocks that we put up in a little grill grate, <coughs> grill grate, real great. We put it over, and we sat back, and we let that thing cook, and oh my goodness, it was so good. It was the best red snapper. I don't even know if I'd had red snapper before then, but it was definitely the best I'd ever heard, had, and we love to do that. We'll do salmon. We sometimes do steaks. We love doing that. It's so much fun, but the hard part is to get that fire going, because if you, if, if you want to cheat, you can use gasoline, but that's not real healthy <laughs> to, to eat food off. Anyways, you got to start with a little spark, a little flame, and you light the newspaper, which is probably also not healthy to burn newspapers. Still going to get you. Anyways, you got to start with a little flame, and you have kindling. And as it starts to get hot, you got to work the kindling a little bit. Sometimes you got to blow into it. As you blow into it, you're adding oxygen, which is one of those key elements in fire, to help it grow. And as you do that, it gets bigger and bigger and hotter till finally you have a roaring flame. And all of your wood is, is, is hot and it's burning and it is ready to go. And you're ready to put that fish on top so that you can cook it. But it takes time. It takes work. 
So Paul is sitting here, and he's saying, Timothy, you have this spark. Like, you have this gift that God has given you, but you need to do some work here. Fan into flame this gift that God has given you. You need to work at this. See, here's the thing, church. You, if you are saved and you are a Christian, and I hope everyone, that's, your, that's the case with, with you all, you have been given gifts. Because at salvation, that is one of the beautiful things about becoming a Christian is you are given a spiritual gift. But you are not just given this gift so that it can burn as a little tiny candle spark. You need to do the work to fan into flame this gift. Fan into flame so that it grows. Because the point of spiritual gifts, it's not that so you can be an awesome person. It's not so that you can be some super Christian. It's so that the church and God's mission can be accomplished here in this world. Because I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. This is the whole purpose for the church. This is the calling, the marching orders of the church. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. And so, as a Christian, your gifts are to support that calling, are to support that mission. That's why you're given these gifts. And you, there's a vast, diverse group here who has different gifts and different spiritual abilities. But you are called to fan into flame these things so that we can push this vessel forward. Jesus is the captain. Jesus is the leader. It's by God's power that these things happen. But for whatever reason, he has called fallen, broken sinners who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to push this vessel forward and to navigate the hard waters, to navigate the storms, to make sure that we stay the course. And that is our job as Christians. That is our job as the church. So you fan into flame the gifts that you've been given. Fan them into flame. How do you do this? Because it's one thing to say that, but you're not going to literally go up to someone and <laughs> like that's not how you fan into flame the gifts. How do you do this? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you this is what has helped me. Step number one is you first have to know your gift. You first have to know your gift. This church has done a wonder for me. As a Christian, as someone in ministry, um, because when I first started at this church, I started doing an internship, Pastor Philip helped me to know my gift. And he helped me to understand who I am and who God's called me to be and how to use these gifts and how to grow these gifts. And if it was not for this church, I would probably probably be, and God can work however he wants to, but probably pretty miserable. Because at that certain point in my time, in my life, I didn't like who I was. See, I saw all these different people going into ministry and becoming pastors or becoming missionaries and I thought that's that's who I need to be 
And if I can change who I am to fit this mold, then I'll be successful. I'll be better. I'll be different. And I'm not sitting here dogging on change because this book right here, it changes people. It changes people from top to bottom. There's a whole doctrine about transformation. We, we have gone from death to life, from wrong to right. We are being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. But we're not changing who God's designed us to be. We're not changing that. And that is something that Pastor Philip helped me understand, is that God designed you with certain talents and abilities and gifts, and you need to embrace those things. And that's okay. It's, it's okay to embrace those things. You don't have to try to fit a mold. Who created that mold? You need to fit the mold that God created for you because he designed you to do that. And he walked me through different verses, and he said, you know, you were, um, you were predestined before the foundations of this earth. God called you. He chose you. Like, God has a plan for your life. And if God has a plan for your life, then he's going to design you with a certain purpose and a certain calling in that plan. And Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God formed you in your mother's womb. If God did this, and God designed you to be a certain person, a certain being, then you need to embrace that. Don't try to change who you are. Embrace who God has made you to be. And so something else that he did with me is he helped me understand who God designed me to be. This isn't even the spiritual gifts part yet. He, he took me through this book. It was called The Strengths Finders 2.0. And there's a test that you can do. And what it does is it helps you figure out your top five strengths. And this book is not biblical. It's not spiritual. It's, it's none of that. But it helps you understand who you are at the very core. So just for instance, a couple of my strengths are like belief was one of them. Context was another one. Um, context being like I like to wrap my mind around the whole thing and get the whole kit and caboodle. That's why when I'm preaching, I like to like get everyone up to speed and help you know the context of the book and where we're headed. Um, responsibility was another one. So just to help you understand, these are some of the things that God has designed me and made me to be. And each and every one of you, God has designed you to be a certain person. You have certain strengths. And for so long, I was working on my weaknesses to pull up my weaknesses to this level. And Pastor Philip said, Work on your strengths, because that's who God called you to be. These are the things that he has designed you with. Work on that. And this is what's awesome, is when you begin to know who God designed you to be, then you will know the spiritual gifts that he's given you. Because the thing about these spiritual gifts and your design is it's compatible. It goes together. It meshes together. It fits God's not going to make you to be this person and then give you gifts that will never accomplish these goals because God is a planner. God has a plan for your life. He has a design for your life. So he is going to make you the person and give you the gifts to help assist the church and push the church forward to achieve his ultimate goals. 
So you first have to know your gift. Know who God designed you to be and know your gift. I put a, I'm going to put a few uh, spiritual gifts up here just in case you're unfamiliar with what Scripture says. This is not an exhaustive list. Um, there are more spiritual gifts in Scripture, but just a few out of 1 Corinthians 12. Wisdom, I don't know if he gave me that gift. Knowledge, not sure about that one either. Faith, prophecy, discernment, teaching, helping, administration, Romans 12, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. These are a few of the spiritual gifts that when you become a Christian, God grants you and God gifts you for the purpose of carrying the church forward and helping lost people know the gospel so they can get saved and furthering the kingdom. So what are your gifts? What are your strengths? But what are the gifts that God has given you? Who has God made you to be? And how are you accomplishing those things? So if you want to fan your flame, you want to fan this gift into flame and grow it, you first got to know what it is. But number two is you have to use it. You have to use that gift because if you're not using it, what good is it? How are you... How are you going to accomplish anything for God if you're not using the gift that God gave you? But the more you use it, the more it grows. And that's just an incredible phenomenon. The more you use this gift, the more you grow. The more it grows. I know when I first started in ministry and trying to figure out my gifts and different things, I was a piece of work. <laughs> I just was. But the more that I've done these things, I've seen where, where, where God has shaped and crafted these different things in my life. And he does that with everyone. The more you use your gift, the more it grows. And let me tell you, church, we have a lot of opportunities for you to use your gifts. In this church alone, there are a lot of opportunities for you to use your gifts. But if you look around in this surrounding community, God is doing an incredible work. God is doing some awesome things. I was meeting with some people yesterday morning about some ministries happening in the high school, all the schools in Davie County. God is, this county is on fire. And all you have to do is join in. I remember when I was in high school, I went through this Bible study. It was called Experiencing God. And one of the things that it said in there was if you want to experience God, then Look where he's working and join him. Look what he is doing around you and step into action. Join him in what he's doing. There are many ways that you can get involved using your gifts. In this church alone, but in the surrounding community, God is doing some awesome things. So use your gift. Now, number three, another way that helps you to fan into flame that gift is you have to tend it. You have to tend your gift. You have to nurture it. Ways that we do this is through prayer. Lord, help me, help me, help me further the things that, I, that, that you have called me to do, that you've given me to do. Help me to know what that is that you are calling me to. Pray about those things. Read the Bible. You can read Scripture. And I would even encourage you to find in Scripture different characters and different people that have the same gifts as you and how God used them and how God allowed them to work. And so read God's word. 
But then you can also hone in your skills in these gifts. There are lots of different books about different gifts. Books about leadership, all the things that we had up here. Books about, um, why none of them are coming to my mind right now. Books about leadership, books about service, books about mercy. Um, there's, there's books about these gifts. Hone in your skills. You know, something I love about 2 Timothy is we give it, uh, he gives us another picture, and that's the picture of the, the good soldier. And something Paul encourages Timothy, he says, be like the good soldier. Be disciplined. A soldier is someone, he studies the battle plan. He goes to the range, and he sharpens his, his abilities and skills at, at, at his weapons. He knows his enemy. Tend your gift. Hone in on these skills. And that will help you to grow, to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Because God uses us all. And I love in Ephesians, I think it's, I think it's chapter 4, talking about the unity in the body of Christ. Everyone is gifted with different talents and abilities. And when we come together as a church and we use them to our fullest and we are on fire for God, it sets this room ablaze. And it is amazing to watch that happen. And I can say this. That's happening in this church. It is happening in this church. Do we still have holes where we need people to fill and things to do? Yes, but church, you are using your gifts. So continue. Continue to fan and to flame those gifts. And it's going to be awesome to see what God does with that. So let's move along. There's a problem when we try to fan into flame our gifts. Because see, we have, we have an enemy. His name is the devil, Satan, Lucifer. And he hates Jesus. And he hates the movement of the church. And he hates when Christians get on fire and are going in a certain direction together, in unity, in harmony, and are following after God and setting this world ablaze. He hates that. So the problem is he tries to extinguish our gifts. He tries to extinguish those flames. It's up to us to make sure that he doesn't do that. Now, one of the ways, and we'll look at this specifically, that this was happening in Timothy's life, and we'll talk about some other ones. Let's look here in verse, um, in verse 7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. So he encourages Timothy, fan to flame this gift. Why? Because he's not giving you a spirit of fear. The thing with Timothy is we know that he was timid. Kind of makes sense. Timid Timothy. Good way to remember that, right? He was timid. He was a young pastor. And back in this time, um, culturally, Pastors were not these young guns straight out of Bible college who were just charging, ready to go, ready to charge hell with, you know, two water pistols. Like, there was a level of respect and experience, gray hair, white hair, that they expected in their leaders. Hence the term elder. That's another name for pastor. We see that in scripture. Elder means what it means. Older, 
<laughs> right? An older person. Timothy did not have this. He did not have the experience to fall back on. He did not have the wisdom, maybe, to even fall back on. He did not have the already earned position of respect from the people around him because he was a young pastor. And a lot of probably his church members or people around him probably looked at him and was like, who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this guy to come in here and to tell me what to do and how to live my life and what the Bible says when I've been around longer than he's been saved? Like, what in the world? But Paul is encouraging Timothy, don't be afraid. You have not been given a spirit of fear. And so for Timothy, fear was something that the devil was using to extinguish his flame and to keep him from pushing forward. It's something we know about Paul. Paul was bold, right? He was a bold guy. I mean, he was bold before he came to Christ, and he was bold after he came to Christ. Um, He was so bold, he was persecuting the church. He was like, this is the mission, this is what I have to do. God changed him. He said, okay, well, now I need to further the church. He went on three missionary journeys. He set up all these churches. He was like, he would get mad at people and say, you're not... This is what God is saying. This, he was on fire. He was bold. Some other people in Scripture that you know that are bold. Peter is one that comes to mind. Peter, the guy who in the garden, when they went to arrest Jesus, what did he do? Wham! He chopped off the guy's ear. That's a pretty bold move. He was a bad shot because he just got the ear. But that was a pretty bold move. Remember, Peter, he was the one also who when he and the two other disciples Peter, James, and John, they went up with Jesus onto the mountain, and Jesus transfigured. And they became into this different, his, his, his clothes were glowing, and there was Moses and Elijah who was there. And it's like the presence of God, and, and God's glory is shining. If that was me in that situation, I don't think I would, like, I would cower in fear at that point. What did Peter do? He said, oh, Lord, this is a wonderful thing. We need to build three tents, one for you and you and you. We're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And he starts going off, and the voice of God thunders and says, Peter basically tells him, stop talking. This is my son. Listen to him. But Peter, Peter was bold. He was bold in how he, how he orchestrated his life and how he went and did his life. Timothy was not. Timothy saw the mountains. He saw the obstacles, and he went, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can accomplish these things. This is too big for me. I don't know if I can lead these people because they're scheming something over here. I don't know if I can, you know, chart the course over here because they don't trust me over here. Timothy was fearful. And I think a lot of Christians, this is one of the things that snuck out with you. Is you're afraid. What if I can't do what God has called me to do? What if I'm not good enough? What if my mindset's not where it needs to be and I say something wrong or I do something dumb? I've been there, and I've said the dumb things. (laughs) I've said the dumb things from this platform, most likely. It happens. But I think that keeps a lot of Christians from stepping out and serving God and fanning into flame the gift that God has given them is because they're afraid. They might be afraid of what, what the devil's going to do, what people are going to do. 
what kind of persecution am I going to get? I don't even know if I can commit my time to these things, let alone actually do them. Fear is what often keeps us from fanning the flame, and it snuffs out our gifts. But there's other things. Here's This one's uber spiritual. You ready? Tiredness. I think sometimes tiredness keeps people from fanning the flame, that gift. I don't know about you guys. Well, a lot of you have kids, have had kids. We have two small kids. They suck a lot of time and energy out of us. There's a lot of sleepless nights that we go through. It is sometimes difficult to be on fire for God, to wake up ready every morning to do our Bible study, to get in the Word, ready to accomplish what God has called us to do when you're just tired. And kids are the only things that suck the life out of you. Your, your jobs. Your jobs suck the life out of you sometimes. There's a lot of different factors. It just, tiredness can get in the way. Here's something else that's uber spiritual. Our physical health. We, there's sometimes that it's important for us to take care of our bodies so that we can be fit to serve God. Now, there's sometimes that God uses these things like tiredness and physical health to spark our relationship back with God, to get us back on track. And he, he, he shows us a miracle. Because there's some, sometimes there's things that are just outside of our control. We can't help certain illnesses or sicknesses, certain things that happen to us. But there's some things that we, we can they often get in the way of us being on fire and ready to serve God. I, I know of a, um, a friend of mine, he was speaking, um, I think it was at a camp, and he was speaking over the course of a week, and there were many messages that he was preaching every day, and he was just feeling weary. And he, he called up our pastor, the, the pastor, and he said, you know, I, I just... I just need some prayer. Like, I need some direction. I need some spiritual guidance because there's something, I just don't feel like I have the clarity of mind. I don't feel like I'm ready to do these messages. And the pastor, his pastor that he called, he told him, uh, he gave him some amazing, amazing spiritual sage advice. He said, go drink a Gatorade. And he said, what? <laughs> I, like, I, I'm, I'm expecting some sort of like, you know, verse just to give me. I don't know if there's anything about drinking Gatorade in here. Like, what in the world? You know what's crazy? Is there was a prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, who he was fleeing from this queen Jezebel, and he went into a cave, and he was real depressed, and he was just down in the dumps, and he was like, Lord, take my life. He, he was at that, at that point. God sent him a messenger, an angel. You know what the angel did? He gave him some food to eat. Like, that was the first thing that he did. He didn't say, I'm going to, like, make you spiritually boom, powerful. No, he said, eat this food. And that was the first step. There's something to taking care of our physical bodies that helps us in our spiritual walks. And I don't fully understand it. I don't, I don't get it. But God created the physical. He created creation. And he wants us to take care of it. And there's something to that, that when that is running well, so is the spiritual. But here's what's crazy with God. 
is he works miracles. And whether this over here doing well or not, he can do what he wants. And there are times when we do have those, those illnesses, and he still works through us. But it's important to keep in mind that sometimes these things are the things that keep us from bearing to flame his gifts. Something else is hardship and tragedy often snuffs out the life for us. It is hard to serve God when you're sad. It is hard to serve God when you're broken. It is hard to serve God when you are walking through something and you just feel like you have crumbled so much and you just have nothing to stand on. It's difficult to serve God. All, all pistons firing, all cylinders ready to go. It's difficult. These are some of the ways that I think the enemy tries to snuff out our flame. But I think the number one is a broken relationship with God due to sin. Number one way that the enemy snuffs out our life is when we are living in sin, unconfessed sin, and we're okay with it. See, God's not going to use this in that moment. At that moment, we are not living for him. We're living for us, and we're living for another master. But when we repent of that sin, and we start stepping in the right direction, God allows that fire to come back, and he allows us to flame, to fan into flame these gifts so that we can accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. But these are just a few of the things that I believe that snuffs out our fire. So what, what spirit, what spirit do you have? Whose spirit do you have inside of you? See, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, you were not given a spirit of fear. This gift that you have been given, it is not a spirit of fear. It is not a spirit of tiredness or physical ailment or um, sadness. It is a spirit of power. It is a spirit of love. And it is a spirit of self-control power. You have the authority to own your gift. It's okay to be bold and say, this is who God's created me to be. This is how he has gifted me. Now I'm going to use it in accordance with his will. This is not a power trip type thing where you have the ability to do whatever you want to do. In accordance with his will, you have the power and the authority to use that gift in a mighty and you should, because that's the spirit that God has given you. You also have the spirit of love inside of you. The reason that we share our gifts with one another and use our gifts is to further this church, to love people, to love God, to love those around us. That's why we do this. And in the meantime of doing all that, having self-control over those things. Going back to that good soldier, being disciplined, and how we execute and use the gifts that God has given us. Having self-control over these things. And when you have that recipe, and you are fanning into flame the gift that God has given you, God, not you, God is unstoppable. God is unstoppable. And the crazy phenomena about being a Christian is God has looked down and he has called broken sinners to carry on his mission. Why? 
but he has. And you and I are broken sinners who have been saved, and we can carry on that mission, and we can do so with power, we can do so with love and self-control. And when we do that, there is a sweeping blaze. There is a sweeping blaze that it covers this land. In my puny eyes, I can see it in this church. God is doing some amazing things in this church. I can see it in our community. Not just this church, but our surrounding churches. God is working in Davie County. Like, it is so cool to see the different things that he's doing and how he is moving, how he is working in this county. But he's working in this nation. We may not always be able to see it or understand what's happening, but he's working in this nation. He's working in this world. Because that's who God is. That's who God is. The question is, are you going to join him? Are you going to join him? Are you going to invest your gifts and your talents and your abilities, the things that God has given you, to spark a life in this world? We have a place for you here at this church. But God has a place for you somewhere. Join him. Join him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do, God. God, you are incredible. You are wonderful. And there's so much love that you have towards us. And why you would call us to be your servants, why you would choose us to do the things that are so sacred and only ordained by you, it's outside of my realm of being able to fathom. But God, you do it. And you call us to it. And you've equipped us. And God, you've given us gifts. And Lord, I pray that this church would embrace those gifts. And each individual would understand this is who you've made them to be. And these are the things that you've called them to do. And help them to do those things. Because God, it's just better. Better when we're serving you. And God, I pray that if there's people here that are struggling today with anything, but especially in knowing who they are and knowing how you see them. God, I pray that you would just open their mind, open their eyes, help them to know you, help them to see you, help them to see the plan that you have for their life. Because God, it's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. And when we join you, it is so much better. So God, I pray that you would work in a mighty way in this church and the lives of the people that are here. God, I know you are. I just pray you continue and help us to be effective. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand at this point. We're going to worship God. If you need to do business with God in your seats or if you need to come to this altar, feel free. If you need to talk with someone, I'll be here. Pastor Philip will be here. Uh, let's do that now as we sing.